Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> it's an honor to share with you this morning. I don't get a chance to stand in the pulpit very often, so when I do, I consider it a great privilege. We are in a new series in the book of Ephesians, as you know, called The Spirit-Filled Life. In the last couple of weeks, Tom has done some good groundwork in this series by discussing God's overarching plan for redemption, as well as the incredible blessings that we have in Christ. Today, I have the privilege of covering the passages of Scripture from Ephesians 1 and 3, where Paul prays these amazing prayers with such rich revelation about our inheritance, and it also reflects Paul's longing for the church to come into the fullness of all that God desires. The title of the message this morning is called Praying Bigger Prayers. Now, to be honest, I feel inadequate to talk about this subject. If you asked me an area of my spiritual life that I'd like to grow in more, it would be in this area of prayer. And I know that we have many prayer warriors in our midst who could probably teach you much more about prayer than I could. And so I want you to know that I'm preaching myself to myself this morning more than anyone else. The other thing I wrestled with the Lord is about how to speak about these truths. The content of these prayers contain very lofty themes and In these difficult times in which we live and in which many of us are just struggling day to day to get by, how do I put this in a message that's meaningful and practical and relevant to all of us? And as I was talking to the Lord about this, I heard the Lord distinctly say, Joel, that's none of your concern. I just want you to share the words that I give you and I'll take care of the outcomes. So I said, yes, sir. So here we go. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just... Thank you for the opportunity this morning to dive into these two pieces of Scripture which contain these magnificent prayers of Paul for the church. Lord, we just simply say, teach us what you want us to know. Help us to hear and see the things that you want us to learn. Bring revelation and insight and wisdom so that we can follow you better and we can fall more deeply in love with you. Holy Spirit, do what you do so well. And that is you apply the word of God to each individual person as you desire. So we submit ourselves to you today and we pray that you would have your way in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. As I look into this whole area of prayer, I was amazed at how many different forms of prayer there are. And to understand what bigger prayer is, I thought it would be good to briefly review what prayer looks like in its various forms. One of the things that I discovered was that there are over 650 recorded prayers in the Bible. Now, I didn't count them, but that's what I understand. There are over 650 recorded prayers. And what I've had them do is list about 20 different types of prayer here. And I'm going to go through these briefly. I think it's instructional just to understand all the various ways that we can talk to God and commune with Him. First of all, there's praise and adoration, which acknowledges who God is. There's petitional prayers. Petitional prayers are like personal prayers where we're asking God to meet personal needs. There are prayers of supplication, which are earnest, humble prayers, usually accompanied by some contrite physical posture. There are prayers of thanksgiving, which express gratitude to God for his blessings. There are prayers of intercession, where we pray to God on behalf of others. There are spiritual warfare prayers where we bind and loose and pray for deliverance or for protection from the enemy. 
There are prayers of repentance when we confess our sins and ask God for forgiveness. There are prayers of proclamation and declaration where we confess the truth about God and his word. There's prayers of lament when we cry out to God from a place of sorrow or grief. There are waiting and listening prayers where we sit quietly before God to discern his heart and get his perspective. There are prayers of consecration where we commit or dedicate something to the Lord. There are prayers where we actually pray the word of God. When you use the words of scripture to be your prayers, it's a very powerful form of prayer. There's prophetic prayer when you pray out what you hear God speaking in the moment. There's healing prayer for those who need a touch in their emotions or their bodies. There's liturgical prayer and responsive prayers which are prescribed prayers for participation in a structured service. There are travailing prayers which are praying out of a deep burden that God lays on your heart. There's praying in tongues when we pray in the spirit when we don't know how how to pray. There's breath prayers, which are a form of meditative prayer. And then there's bigger prayers, which I'm going to call high prayer. These are the prayers that focus on God's redemptive purposes in the earth. So that's about 20 different kinds of prayers that we can use depending upon the situation. And God loves all of them. I'm so grateful that in our communion with God, there are so many different ways that that cover the whole scope of our human experience. And often when we pray, we'll incorporate several different types of prayers in one, in one sitting or one prayer time, prayer time. Even the Lord's Prayer, which is a model prayer for us, contains six different kinds of prayer with it. The Lord's Prayer is such a short prayer, but it contains six different kinds of prayer. Let's look at it for a minute. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a prayer of praise and adoration. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's high prayer. Those are the big prayers, praying for God's will to be done in the earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Those are personal petitional prayers for our own individual needs. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Prayers of confession and repentance. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Those are spiritual warfare prayers. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Those are prayers of proclamation and declaration. As I look at my own prayer life, even though I've probably used most of those types of prayer at one time or another, I would say probably 90% of my prayers are petitional prayers where I'm praying for my own needs and intercessory prayers where I'm praying for the needs of others. And I'm sure that's probably the case for most of you as well. God loves our prayers, and we should continue to pray those kinds of prayers. But in light of all that God has been speaking to us over these past months and years, Pastor Tom has really challenged us and encouraged us to pray bigger prayers, or what I'm calling high prayers. These are prayers that go beyond our personal needs. These are prayers about God's redemptive purposes in the earth. These are prayers that are for revival in our hearts, in our families, in our church, in our communities, and for an awakening in the world. These are prayers that are actually birthed in the heart of God. And we discern it and we pray them back to him. 
So let me give you some examples of bigger prayers or higher prayers from Scripture. The first example is Solomon, King Solomon. Can you imagine what Solomon felt as he was about to become Israel's next king in place of his father, David? David is the greatest king Israel ever had. And here Solomon is, he's a young man. He's got some big shoes to fill. And in a dream that Solomon had, God offered to give Solomon whatever he needed. Can you imagine that all the things that filled Solomon's mind about the things that he would need to govern this great kingdom? He would need good health. He would need strength. He would need protection from his enemies, maybe even destruction of his enemies. He could have prayed for wealth or honor or long life. But instead, Solomon prayed a bigger prayer. He prayed for the wisdom to govern God's people. And he prayed for discernment to know right from wrong. And because he prayed a bigger prayer, it so moved the heart of God that God said he would not only give him the wisdom that he asked for, but he would give him all the things he could have asked for, but didn't. And he did. A second example of a bigger prayer or higher prayer, we can actually see from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said there are so many daily needs that we worry about and we stress over for food and for clothing, for finances, for health. And of course, we could pray these anxious prayers and fret over how all these needs are going to be met. Or as Jesus said, I have a better idea. You could seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things would be added onto you. For if I feed the birds of the air and I clothe the flowers of the field, how much more will I take care of you? Because you are of far more valuable value to me than they are. In other words, Jesus is saying, think about kingdom things. Be about kingdom business and pray kingdom prayers, the bigger prayers, and I will take care of all of the other things that you will need. A third example of bigger prayers comes from the book of Revelation. There's this amazing scene in heaven where the angels are agonizing over who is worthy to open the scroll that will begin the judgments of God. Finally, the only one who is worthy steps on the stage and takes the scroll. It's the Lamb of God. It's Jesus. And as he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne, the four living creatures and the 24 elders bow down before the Lamb. And each one is holding a golden bowl of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. I believe that those golden bowls of incense are the high prayers of God's people. They are the bigger prayers that have been prayed for God's will to be done. Those are the prayers that I believe are going to usher in the end time purposes of God. So my hope today is as we look at these prayers that Paul prays for the Ephesian church, that they will serve as a model for us of how to pray bigger prayers. So let's take some time to look at these prayers. The first one that we're going to look at comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That is the same, that, is, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Before I try to summarize what Paul is saying here, I want to point out that Paul wrote this when he was in prison. He was in prison with two guards on either side of him. If I were Paul, do you know what I would be praying? (laughs) I would be praying, Lord, help me kind of prayers. Lord, rescue me. Lord, deliver me kind of prayers. Lord, please send your angels to rescue me from this prison like you did for Peter and you did like for Silas and me a number of years ago. Lord, set me free so that I can continue to preach the gospel and help all of these young churches who are so vulnerable at this time. Lord, set me free from these chains. And then on a more personal level, Lord, I have no privacy. I can't even clean myself. I can't get a good night's sleep without these ugly Roman soldiers who are always with me. They have bad breath. They rag on their wives all the time. And they're constantly telling each other bad jokes. And Lord, could I please get some better food than what they're serving me? This can't be your will for me, Lord. This can't be how my life is going to end. Would you please save me? Let us put it this way. If I were Paul, <laughs> my petitional, personal petitional prayer needs would just be buzzing about my personal needs. Now, are any of those prayers wrong? Not necessarily. But it wasn't, was, it's not what was on Paul's heart. And it's not what was on God's heart. Paul instead was praying bigger prayers, even in prison in the midst of his difficult circumstances. So let me try to summarize what Paul is saying here. I see three main themes. First, Paul prays that the Father would give the Ephesian church and us by extension the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know the Father better. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I love that. It's so true. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because it defines our whole life. Even though God is incomprehensible, there's enough that we can know about God to trust him. This is really important. In order to walk in a relationship with God in the midst of this fallen world and in the midst of all the suffering and the hardships that we encounter, we need to know God well enough to have all of our defaults in place. In other words, no matter what we go through and no matter what we experience in life, we need to know that we know that God is good, that he's kind, and that he's merciful. We need to know that we know that God is patient and wise and forgiving. We need to know that we know that God is holy and sovereign and just. We need to know that we know that God is unchanging. There's no shadow of turning with him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is full of grace and love. We need to know that we know 
that God can be trusted. So many of us struggle in this life because we don't have these beautiful attributes of God set as defaults in our lives. And when we don't have those defaults in place, we leave ourselves open to fear, doubt, confusion, disillusionment, offense, betrayal, the lies of the enemy, and all of those things would be shut down if we had those defaults about God in place. Nothing is more important than knowing who God is. That's why Paul prays this bigger prayer. Father, I keep asking you that you may give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. The second theme in Paul's prayer has to do with identity. He prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we can understand who we are and all that has been given to us in Christ. If, as Tozer says, the most important thing about a person is what he thinks about God, the second most important thing about a person is what he thinks God thinks about him. What does God think about us? Well, whatever it is, that alone has to be the basis of our identity. That alone has to define who we are and nothing else and no one else. Listen to what Paul says about our identity. And this is just taken from the first chapter of Ephesians. He says, we have been chosen before the world began, even before the world began to be holy and blameless. This was God's plan. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, to be brothers of Jesus, co-heirs, joint heirs, and to have our heavenly father as our father, to be in the family of God. He has freely given us his glorious grace. In him, we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of sins according to his riches in grace. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. In him, we have been chosen. Our lives bring praise and glory to God. We have been marked in him by the seal of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We have a hopeful calling. We are God's possession. We are God's glorious inheritance. We are God's inheritance. And God's incomparably great power is for us. Isn't that incredible? And that's just the first chapter of Ephesians. A number of years ago, I was so taken up with this idea of really understanding how God sees me, what my identity is, that I decided to start from the book of Matthew in the New Testament and go all the way through the book of Revelation. And I wanted to write down everything that I read that was a reflection of who I am and who God really sees me to be. And so I started writing down these one phrase sentences that was a brief description of how God was viewing me. And by the time I was done, you guys, I had three and a half pages of single-spaced sentences about my identity in Christ. And then what I did after that is I read through that three and a half pages almost every day for uh, several weeks. And it was a powerful exercise that really helped me to see myself in a different light. I began to see myself the way God sees me. Since that time, I've never said something derogatory about myself. I mean, it's easy to do when you make a mistake or you, you, you mess something up. You say, you, you stupid idiot. I'm not doing that anymore because that's not how God sees me. 
<laughs> Paul's high prayer is that we would know who we are in Christ. He prays that the eyes he prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened in order that we may know all that we are in him. That's a high prayer. The third theme in this prayer has to do with the supremacy and sovereignty of Christ. He is the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly realms, far above all other authorities in this age and in the age to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and made him Lord of all. If the truth of this prayer could be absorbed into our hearts, we would never be anxious or walk in fear of anything. I know of a dear sister from this church who had a near-death experience recently, and in that experience, she had a personal revelation of what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord. She said that that experience of being in God's presence, of seeing heaven and knowing what is coming, eliminated all anxiety and fear from her life. These are the kinds of prayers that we need to be praying for each other and for the church in these days. These are the bigger prayers. The second prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church is taken from Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In this prayer, I see two themes. First, Paul prays that God would strengthen them in their inner man, in their spiritual being, so that they could understand how the life of Christ works in them and through them. This is basically a prayer for spiritual maturity, to grow up into the fullness of Christ. The second theme of Paul's prayer has to do with the love of God. He prays that they would be rooted and established in the love of God. He prays that they would have the ability to grasp the deep, expansive love of God that is beyond human understanding. He prays that the love of God would fill and permeate their entire being. So here's a picture of how I see the love of God. I see the love of God as this wide, deep ocean. Just imagine an ocean. The entire ocean from top to bottom is, is about God's love. It's the reservoir of his love. And I see us as little water bugs on the top of this ocean scooting along on the surface tension of the water. You guys know what surface tension, right, is? You all did that little experiment in high school where you took the little pin and you balanced it on top of the water. And even though that pin is made out of metal, it doesn't seek sink to the bottom of the beaker. It just floats on top of the water. Lo and behold, water has a little skin surface to it. And so I see us as these little water bugs scooting along on the surface tension of God's love. We're having a great time. We're getting our feet wet. We're splashing. We think this is the greatest thing in the world. Guess what? 
There's a vast ocean of God's love beneath us that hasn't been discovered, that's waiting to be revealed to us. Paul says the love of God surpasses knowledge. He says that it's wide and it's long and it's high and it's deep. The surface tension of his love is something that all of us can experience by faith, but the vast depths of God's love can only be experienced through revelation. I'm convinced that we will be learning about the exhaustive love of God throughout all eternity. And I believe that we will be living thousands and thousands and thousands of years and we'll still be learning about God's exhaustive love. I think it's very significant that Paul says if we could understand a deeper measure of God's love, that it would fill us to the measure of the fullness of God. What is that? Whatever it is, it's pretty full. If we truly understand God's love, I don't think we would struggle as much as we do in this life. We wouldn't be so burdened by the myriad of concerns in this life that so often weigh us down. Instead of striving to fill the void that we feel in our hearts, to be loved, to be valued, to belong, to be accepted, we would rest content in his love. Instead of the emotional fallout that we experience from all the trauma as a result of hardships in this life, often which result in fear and and panic attacks and depression and thoughts of suicide and other self-destructive behaviors, we would walk in the abundant life that Jesus talked about. Because the accusations of the enemy seem so believable to us, they seem believable because we're very aware of our own shortcomings and our weaknesses. And so when the enemy comes along to accuse us, it's really easy for us to agree with him and to be complicit in his condemnation of us. And because of that, it is very difficult for us to grasp the fact that God really, really loves us more than we can imagine. There's one more example of high prayer, a bigger prayer that I want to share with you this morning. It's called the Crafted Prayer of City Church. Some of you have read this, but many of you have not. The Crafted Prayer of City Church was composed by the pastors and the elders of this church shortly after the Lord miraculously brought Mad City and Lake City together to be one church. And that happened 11 years ago. In a prayer process that took over a month, we sought the Lord about His ideas, His thoughts, His words, something that expressed His heart and His plans for City Church. After it was all said and done, I think the result is something divine. This is the prayer that we pray at the beginning of all of our elders' meetings. I want to share this prayer with you this morning as an example of a bigger prayer. And as we pray this prayer, see if the the words in that prayer don't resonate with your heart. I'm going to have some of the elders of this church uh, pray this prayer. And as they do, I would like you to close yourself in, close your eyes, And listen carefully as they pray. Heavenly Father, you alone are God, and the depths of the universe cannot contain your majesty. Your goodness astounds us, your grace amazes us, and your unfailing love abounds. We acknowledge that we do not know the way to the place that you are leading us, but trust that you will guide us. You take delight in everything you create. And we know that you are faithful to complete the work you have begun in City Church. In light of this, we humble ourselves before you. And we thank you for all that you are and all that you have done for us. We give you everything, Father, 
And we simply ask for more of you because we want to know you and love you more. We no longer entrust in what we can do in our own strength, but rather in who we are in you and what you can do through us. We submit our lives, our wills, and our plans to you. Help us to be people that delight in you and walk in the fear of the Lord. As we set our hearts and fix our eyes on you, help us to demonstrate our love for you by our joyful obedience. Lord, in your mercy, keep us from relying on our own wisdom, our religious traditions, or past experiences. We ask you to have the freedom to do in our midst what you desire. Make us a church that lives out your word in heart and deed and truly reflects your beauty and character. Make us a merciful and generous people who walk in your redemptive ways. Increase our joy in Jesus Christ and help us to share it with others. Help us to have compassion for one another that there may be no needy among us and that we might be a refuge for those you send. Make us a place where people can taste and see that you are good, where all who come can find love and acceptance, and where people can hear and receive the transforming message of the gospel and become your disciples. Out of the fullness of who you are, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit and move in power in our midst so that your work spill over to all you draw near. As we unashamedly worship you and preach your word, rise up and confirm the truths of your kingdom with signs and wonders. Save the lost, heal the sick, bind up the brokenhearted, and deliver those who are oppressed in our midst so that every eye would be on Jesus and he would receive the rewards of his suffering. Enlarge our hearts to receive and embrace the poor, the lost, and the difficult. Please give us wisdom and understanding to be a faithful beacon of your light and a conductor of your presence in this region. Lord, just as if you made us one body, use City Church as a catalyst to bring the unity and revival you desire. Equip us with your power, wisdom, and courage to fulfill every purpose you have for us here and to the farthest parts of the world. May we bring you joy, glory, and honor in all that we do. Heavenly Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done in City Church, this region, and beyond. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. For those of you who have been here for a while, doesn't that prayer express what God has been speaking to us over the years? About this being a place where the presence of God can be experienced? About this being a place where he's free to do whatever he wants to do in our midst? About God using this church to build unity and to be a catalyst for revival in the region? A high prayer or a bigger prayer is simply a prayer that expresses what's on God's heart. Instead of praying for our needs and our wants and our desires, a bigger prayer comes from a desire to seek Him and to discern what God is doing, what's on His mind, what's on His heart, 
according to his redemptive plans. It's a thy kingdom come and thy will be done type of prayer. We are a church that has been praying for revival, and we've tried to be obedient to do our part in preparing the way so that God can do what only he can do. And I believe that praying these bigger prayers, both individually and corporately, will be a part of what God has us do in the days ahead. And as we pray these things that are on his heart, I believe that it will prepare the way for revival and God's end time plans. We will be creating those bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I'm going to pray a high prayer over you right now. Dear Father, as Paul prayed, I ask that you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we may know the hope to which we have been called, the riches of your glorious inheritance and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Lord, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, would have power together with all of your people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may all be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God.